Welcome to the Jannie and Angie Show with January Donovan and Angela Schneiders. We have a dream to rebuild our church and restore the tender love of Christ to every human heart. We believe in women's irreplaceable role in rebuilding our church, our culture, and our domestic church. As St. Catherine of Siena reminds us, be who God meant you to be, and you will set the world on fire. It is time to rise and reclaim souls for Christ. We must deepen our formation as women and prepare ourselves to lead the new evangelization. Our vision in the Women's School is to build our church one woman's formation at a time, and only then will we set the world on fire for Christ. Welcome, everyone. We are so thrilled to have you with the Jannie and Angie show, Rebuild Our Church Through the Formation of Women. We are so honored and thrilled today to have our special guest, Jessica Navin. Jessica is one of my dearest friends and one of the women that I admire most. We were blessed to live together for several years in Denver when I worked for Focus. And Jessie has actually been with Focus now for nine years. Uh, before that, she was a poor Claire nun. And uh, before that, a student at St. Louis University. So she comes to us with so much experience. She's currently serving as the manager of spiritual formation for Focus, the Fellowship of Catholic University Students. And so Jesse, we're just so thrilled to have you on the show today. And we're hoping that you can really help us unpack um, where the battle is right now. You're working on the front lines with, mm -hmm. uh, with college students, with with young missionaries who are courageously going to the front line of, of the spiritual battle right now. And so we really wanna understand what are the roadblocks that are impeding our young women today from um, understanding their deepest desires and dreams and, and also the love that God has for them, God's desire for them. And um, so what's, what's holding them in bondage and how can we help accompany them and awaken hope, uh, awaken hope yeah. in their deepest identity. Absolutely. When I work with women, there's a scene from a book that really kind of encapsulates to me the main struggle with Christian women. It's from The Lord of the Rings, which I absolutely love. There's a character named Eowyn who is struggling throughout the book, very unhappy, and she's despairing. And then she goes to the Houses of Healing because she's wounded, and the battle's won, the king has been inaugurated, um, everything is good, but Eowyn is still unhappy and she still needs healing. And then there's a marvelous line from Tolkien where Eowyn is healed and he says, and then her heart was healed, or at least she finally understood it. And I think the main healing that women need today is to understand their own hearts and to not be afraid of what is there not to be afraid of their desires and even their wounds and to really trust that god is a loving father and that he isn't going to tell them uh, i planted all these desires in your heart so that you would have to sacrifice them um, women have so many expectations that are placed on them today so many shoulds and those are very detrimental for their spiritual lives but I think, yeah, the main healing that women need is just to understand their own hearts and understand that they were created to have certain desires, that God wants to fulfill those desires. Okay, that uh, that's, I think, 
just parallel with um, what I'm seeing. And I think the question I have is that what's the roadblock for the desires, you know, because um, for me, even my own, and I went to Steubenville, there was an automatic belief and assumption that my desires were just somehow bad. And it wasn't something I was consciously aware of, but it was desires equals vanity. It was bad. And so mm-hmm. I kind of went through my relationship with our Lord, almost um, any kind of desire, I felt as though I had to suppress them. Yes. But I didn't have language to distinguish. Okay, I think it's good. You know, and and there was, okay, these desires from God are not of God. But I still felt as though I couldn't, you know, because there's desire for a pair of shoes. And I'm like, that must not be for God. But why couldn't it be for God, you know? And then there was this idea of Isaac. I mean, um, I'm sorry, um, Abraham. And I always felt as though God would tease me, that he would put those desires in my heart to be married and to have this guy only to call me into religious life. Yes, that's a huge problem. Uh, I remember when I was in college, my best friend greatly desired to be married. She started dating this man and he was her Prince Charming. He proposed to her and we had breakfast together several days later and she was very unhappy. And she said to me, how is it that I'm getting what I want? Shouldn't I have to sacrifice that desire to prove my love of God? And I told her, I think that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. God doesn't plant desires within you just to make you sacrifice them. It would be as though a child comes downstairs on Christmas morning to discover all of these presents And the parent says, you know, I got these just for you. And I knew exactly what you wanted. And the parent is so excited to see the joy on the child's face when they open the presents. And then the child comes to the parent and says, mom, I'm going to not take these presents out of love for you. That's ridiculous. It gives the parent joy to see the child have joy. And so many times women will come and say, should I give up my desire for marriage and join a convent where I really want to have this profession? I want to engage in this hobby. Should I give that up out of love for Jesus? And I think that the mistake comes from not recognizing how deeply united we are to Jesus when we receive him in the blessed sacrament. It's he who is desiring from within us. Oh, that's a great line. It's he who is desiring from within us. So, okay, so can I dig deeper? Where does this teaching somewhere in our catechism or like thereof or the pulpit that's almost leading us to that assumption? Mm -hmm. And that's my question number one. And number two, where's the lack of formation of desire that actually helps women discover those desires in freedom and not in fear? Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, so I think that uh, your first question, where is this coming from? I think that it comes from uh, a very stoic European mindset. Mm-hmm. That, um, the only way to prove love is by sacrificing what you want rather than wanting it together. Mm-hmm. But there is uh, some very good teaching 
with particularly, I mean, all of the saints have this, St. John of the Cross, Teresa of Avila, but I think St. Ignatius of Loyola really puts it succinctly. For Ignatius, the entire spiritual life is a story of desire. And prayer is simply learning to receive God's desire for you. Oh, that is so powerful. That is so amazing. I heartache 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> and just like you saying that, reaffirming that, you know, both January and I have done Ignatian retreats. We've studied St. Ignatius. And yet, uh, and, and, and he's not a doctor of the church, but certainly one of the, almost the fathers of our church and certainly of our, our, our the way we approach prayer um, Alexio Divina really for the past 500 years. And so that's again, what's been, um, there's almost a heresy, I think that has permeated mm-hmm. uh, maybe the younger church somehow, you know, the John Paul II generation, again, that these desires are bad or somehow if I'm dreaming in prayer, now again, obviously a desire from a malformed heart is not going to be a desire of God, but literally we're not dreaming separate from God. It's, it's literally, again, that he has in, uh, planted within our very beings his desires and dreams for us. And together in the context of prayer and intimacy with him, that he is revealing those dreams and desires to us and awakening mm-hmm. the gifts that make up our unique contribution so that we can be that unique light in the body of Christ. Absolutely. And I think that it's helpful to distinguish levels of desire because uh, as January was saying when she was at Steubenville, everyone recognizes that the desire for God is the good thing, but we kind of want to hide from other desires. So there's a very low level of desire that says, I want this pair of shoes. Uh, and then there are second level desires that are deeper, like the human desire uh, for marriage, human desire for friendship. Those are very deep and good desires. And then the desire for God would be the deepest desire. And where people get confused is that they think they have to deny all other desires and only focus on their desire for God, when really these other desires can lead them to God. Mm-hmm. Now, it is true that sometimes we have to deny certain desires or purify our desires so that we can arrive at our deeper desires. Mm-hmm. Say that I desire just to rest tonight and watch uh, Jane Austen movies, and I also desire to be married. Well, you have to give up a lower level of desire and start dating people or get on a Catholic match website rather than spend your time watching movies so that you can have the deeper desire. Ultimately, even your smallest desires, God means to use them to teach you how to desire, to grow in desire for him. Yes. So that's, I think it goes back to, I think of my child asking for a lollipop, you know, my three-year-old. And clearly, I don't think the sugar is best for her. But as a a mom, I'm not going to go, well, that's horrible. You know, that's awful. It's like, no, you kind of have this tenderness and you say, yeah, honey, of course you can have, you know, it's a treat. It's not all the time. And I think it goes, I find that the desire crisis is a self image crisis of God. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is that we have this assumption of a God that is to be feared 
And it's almost as though the way we've neurologically and how habitually live our way of life in this current 50 years where we have to prove ourselves, we have to please the world, we have to be perfect, we have to produce and you know to be accepted is now bleeding into our intimacy with our Lord that I have to prove myself, I have to please God, and that's the only way I will be lovable. So mm-hmm. then we negate our desires due to the fact that our image of God is actually has um, this God that is almost a checklist, you know, uh, God that has no heart, but only rules. And I remember walking into that. I remember going to my spiritual director and say, I could not do an hour of prayer today. I, I just feel horrible and feel like I need to go to confession because I was transitioning from Steubenville and now I'm going to work. And my checklist needed to be done and saying, I, I didn't do my, you know, my rosary. Or, and, I, and I remember my, you know, my spirit director said, Junior, can you listen to yourself? Has God become a checklist? And I remember just a recalibration of, um, you know, can you just go in a swing set and enjoy and think that God is, you know, just holding you? But gosh, it was an, an effort, you know, because it was kind of like, it was cutting what I felt as though subconsciously I was living it, but didn't understand that that was the way I developed my self-image with God. Mm-hmm. Um, and consciously trying to say, no, that's actually not God, even though I feel like, because that's, that's the way the world operates. So I feel like what I'm seeing is that there has to be a heightened awareness of how we have been, um, how love has been revealed to us. From our family of origin, you know, conditionally, unconditionally, because it really is, um, it bleeds into our intimacy with the Lord. And in Montessori, they actually don't, um, they teach the good shepherd first. And they actually don't teach you about the first, the um, first test. I mean, the, um, um, the Old Testament, because they want to introduce a merciful God. So they start with a good shepherd and it's not actually told the age where they can actually have reason, where they introduce the God of Isaac, the God of, you know, where the discipline and the obedience was needed during that season. But prior to that, it's all about joy and freedom and intimacy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, to that point, I think it's so critical that, again, we have a distorted image of God. Mm-hmm. And if we have a distorted image of who the Father is, then how, and if we're made in his image and likeness, how can we possibly have a properly formed image of ourself? So how can, I, how can I be a beloved daughter who is with unconditional worth, who is unconditionally loved, if I constantly feel that I'm having to prove, perfect, perform, produce, to be loved yeah. by God? And so that, I think, is so fundamental um, for even having to pull out those weeds within, uh, within the Catholic Church and our formation um, is, is understanding how deep some of those lies are and that distortion is of who God the Father is. Mm-hmm. And Janie, you say this so well that, um, and again, we even know from the neuroscience that our, our worth is unconditional, but it is revealed to us by our parents, our siblings, our friends, especially during those key formative years of in the womb to seven, eight, nine, ten. Mm-hmm. And so if those around us are hurt and are broken, or if their unconditional worth has not been revealed to them, they actually don't have a full capacity to reveal our unconditional worth to us. So I think so many are starting with that distorted image. 
And, you know, Jesse, one of the great gifts that you bring to the church is, is your work in, um, in healing and healing prayer and in removing those roadblocks. Maybe you could speak to that momentarily. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a lot of our retreats, our healing retreats, we have to go back to who do you see God as? And that image is usually revealed to people uh, from their childhood understanding of their parents. I see God as a disciplinarian. Um, I see him as being distant. And then when you look at that from the perspective of desire, of course, people aren't going to want to share their desires with God because they think that he'll ask them to sacrifice them or he will ask them, um, he, won't, he won't give it to them. And so we have to heal their perception of who God is and renounce lies that they have believed or false images that they've had of him. It's ultimately taking what God has revealed about himself in the scriptures and claiming it as, yes, I believe that this is true. I believe that God is a loving father. And in one of our retreats, we go back to the um, story in Genesis of the first fall. Eve sins because she doesn't really believe that God is her loving father. She thinks she has to take what she wants rather than receive it from God. That story is ultimately an attack on God's identity, as Pope Benedict XVI writes. And so we have to help people understand who God is. Yeah, and I think that involves the healing memories from childhood. Sorry, um, just totally cut Go you. ahead, yeah. Sometimes there's a backlag, so I can't. <laughs> um, uh, I find just that part of the struggle is that we don't actually have language for the struggle. Mm-hmm. So it's like, we want to heal from what? You know, we want to have an image of God, but what is that image? Okay, we want to try to heal from the past that I felt like I had to prove myself to my parents in order to be conditional. That's a language that I don't feel like we use because we don't actually, we can't claim it because we don't even, it, it just kind of gets blanketed as like bad childhood or I get anxiety or it was stressful. But to actually create those distinctions and clarity so that we can actually heal from it, because it could be as simple as, you know, I had to, I grew up and I had to prove myself. And so now I'm proving myself to my boss, which causes me stress. Now I'm proving myself to God, which inhibits my receptivity. Now I'm proving myself to this guy, which he's emotionally abusive, but I'm trying to prove myself. It becomes a thread that actually leads us to a life of suffering, but not suffering for the desires that God has for us. It's suffering simply because of we have no clarity that that's exactly how we're living our life. You know, because mm-hmm. to live having to prove ourselves and to please is in bondage. Mm-hmm. And it always talks about, and it's a mental bondage when we don't have language for it. Yeah, absolutely. And Jesse, one thing that we've, you know, we're really unpacking and just kind of reading the signs of the times right now, um, that modern day sanctity truly is and will continue to be a battle for the mind. You know, St. Paul tells us, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and pleasing and perfect. And thanks to the advances in neuroscience, just over the past 20 to 25 years, we actually understand that we can regrow our brain and, and how neurons that wire together or that fire together, wire together, and especially traumatic mm-hmm. experiences 
that are repetitive over time literally cause neurological pathways. Well, the gift of God who makes all things new is that those pathways can actually be broken and rewired with the truth. So Jesse, I was, you were, you were sharing with me just the other day that this even goes back to the desert fathers, because one of the yes. things that we really work on in the context of the women's school is that, you know, I can go on a very powerful retreat. I can actually have a healing experience, but those neural pathways that have been forged maybe over the course of decades, don't just change over. They can, obviously God can heal overnight, but more often what he also wants to do is actually heal us over a longer period of time because he literally wants to make us a new creation from the inside out. Mm -hmm. um, not just blanket over the bad memories or blanket over the bad wiring, but literally rewire. So we become a new creation. Mm -hmm. And so Jesse, could you speak to even going back? Cause we do a lot of script work. We do a lot of repeating yeah. the truth and, and praying with the truth over and over and over again of who we are, who are, what our divine inheritance is. What is the truth about us as beloved daughters? Can you speak to yeah. what the desert fathers taught us about that rewiring mm -hmm. process? Yeah, absolutely. So um, spiritual warfare is a huge piece of what the desert fathers wrote about because they actually went into the desert to fight demons. It was believed that demons dwelled in the desert. And so they went to the desert to fight demons and to have solitude for prayer. And when they would fight the demons, they recognized that spiritual warfare is a battle for the mind. Because St. Thomas recognized that. that hmm? They recognized that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because faith, Jesus asked us to have faith. But faith is an intellectual virtue. And so it happens in the mind. Mm -hmm. And so that is what demons are after. So often when people come to me and say, I think I'm being attacked. I think I'm in spiritual warfare. Like, why do you think that? It's like, well, I got a flat tire on the way to mass. And it's like, okay, um, devils, I suppose, could pop your tires. But it's not about your tires. It's about your faith. And so did having a flat tire cause you to question your belief in who God is, who he says you are, and the promises that he has made you? If the answer is no, then that's probably not a spiritual attack, because that's what the devil wants to attack. Real spiritual attacks are the thoughts that people have. You're not good enough. God isn't going to answer your prayer. God isn't going to heal you. He's just going to continually take things from you. Those are real spiritual attacks. And so the Desert Fathers recognized these thoughts, and they actually wrote manuals telling people how to combat these thoughts. And they combat them with truth, particularly with scripture verses. And so they'd say, if the devil is giving you the thought that you should stop pursuing virtue, here is the scripture verse that you combat that with. And they take that from Jesus's temptation in the desert. It's called talking back, where the, the demon quotes a scripture verse sometimes or just a thought, and then you respond with scripture because scripture is the word of God. It's immensely powerful. And the word of God has creative power. It can create what it speaks. And so if I repeat 
the words of God over and over, I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to speak those words over me and make me new. So if I repeat the words of scripture, um, you are my beloved son or daughter, in you I am well pleased, in you I am well pleased. And I repeat that scripture when I'm having self-condemning thoughts, then I am able not only to recognize the truth and to accept the truth and reject the lie, but the word of God is also having creative power in my heart to help me truly be favored by him as he says I am. Well, that just gives me chills. So, so literally we know that the, the word became flesh. Words have power and words are creative. Words yes. have the power to transform. They're living words. The yes. word of God is living effective sharper than a two-edged sword. That just gives me chills yeah. to, to have that, again, affirmed again, um, which is also why, you know, within the context of the women's school, we're actually teaching women those scripts, which many, most of which, of course, come from scripture about the truth of our dignity and who mm -hmm. we are. And, and we have yeah. to repeat those yeah. over and over again, write them, speak them, hear them, literally, so it, it rewires our brain with the truth. Yeah, well, and women are very verbal, and so it makes sense that God is going to give healing through words if hurt has come through words. Likewise, if hurt has come over a long period of time, then God is probably going to use a long period of time to bring healing. Or if hurt has come through a man, God will probably use a man to bring healing. Wow. Um, so... Jesse, question for you, because I think this is just, um, I think it's, it's, it's a formation that I don't even think we're taught, you know, especially the Desert Fathers and, and what we did. And I just think it's awareness is so key because even a lot of our critics, when we talk about mind management, kind of talks about this is kooky thing, which I, I think we're arriving to that level of understanding that, okay, maybe I did think it was kooky 10 years ago, but actually it's real and it's not, you know, new age science, rather mm -hmm. you can quantify it under a microscope. But here's where I find, you know, just speaking with thousands of women is that the default is that I, there's a spiritual warfare, the spiritual warfare. And I tell women, if you're able to say, an, an, you know, a thought of worry comes in and you know how to say, no, thanks. <laughs> I'm so grateful that God gave me a beautiful day. I find that we don't even come to a point of spiritual warfare and give the devil, you know, his due because if I'm able to live in a space of gratitude and um, Thanksgiving all the time, because I don't even let all the thoughts of worry, fear, anxiety, then instead of me being on defense, trying to defend my worth, now I'm actually pondering the scriptures of creating for and with God and dreaming. And so I find that before we even go to those battles of thinking, okay, that's got me, that's from the devil and I'm just gonna get it. I'm like, no, that's your mental formation. And you just need to say no, or maybe stop watching the news that's gonna allow you to exacerbate all the negative thoughts and maybe dream in with for God and think of all those ways to create as opposed to be living in defense. And I feel like that's a formation that is so crucial. I mean, just as simple as the formation of managing anxiety and understanding how, what anxiety does to our brain or that anxiety is actually uh, part of the journey. 
anxiety is means that there's something a threat around us and we need to assess with proper um kind of awareness and with our mental faculties to say okay the world is changing there's a pandemic and instead of going into constant what if what if what if it's like oh what's the opportunity here it's literally knowing how to manage anxiety before it becomes anxiety anxiety is a um, excessive worry about things we cannot control in the future mm-hmm. but what if we formed our youth to actually manage before it becomes sort of this crisis of anxiety and crisis of fear because what i find that our spiritual life has become a defense and so instead of us creating and dreaming and rebuilding our church we're just trying to survive yes Well, I think that, um, first of all, a lot of people ask the question, is this just psychological or is it spiritual? St. Thomas Aquinas never would have separated those two things. That's a very modern mindset and it's very Western, uh, but they're so intertwined. And so when people ask, is it demons, spiritual warfare, or is it psychological and I just need to uh, rethink my thoughts? Well, the answer is probably, it's probably a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Demons can uh, kind of latch on to negative thoughts, similarly to an infection to a wound. And so, yeah, you do need to deal with the infection, but that's not enough. As yeah. you get rid of the infection, you've got to heal the wound. And so with spiritual warfare, yes, you can say prayers renouncing evil spirits, but then you have to work on your thoughts. Yeah. And so I think that people uh, kind of have a spectrum. Either they don't want it to be spiritual warfare at all, and they only want to focus on the psychological, which isn't enough, or because they don't want to look at the psychological, uh, they don't want to do the work of having to rewire their brain and work at having new thoughts. They just want a spiritual warfare prayer that's going to work like magic. And... um, That's not what spiritual warfare is. Spiritual warfare is entering into that battle of making your thoughts the thoughts of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so it isn't just about finding the right prayer formula. It's about you thinking the thoughts of Christ and letting him think in you. Yes. And and Jesse, I think one of the practices that has been most transformational in my life the past five or six years um, is the practice of gratitude. Mm, because yes. gratitude, I firmly believe, is the key that unlocks the Father's heart mm-hmm. and our hearts. Because when we're practicing gratitude, you know, I, uh, I try to write down 10 new things I'm grateful for every morning, or at least throughout the context of the day. What that does, it's actually training my mind to look for God's gifts mm-hmm. yes. and, and to look for God's creative new gifts. Mm-hmm. And, and so, I'm then looking throughout my day. Oh my gosh, I'm so grateful for this beautiful sun. I'm grateful for my beautiful friends. I'm grateful for my husband who just brought me a cup of tea. You know, I'm grateful for my beautiful daughter who gave me a smile when she woke up this morning. I'm looking for gift after gift. And then I realize, oh my goodness, everything in my life is a gift and God has provided for everything. So then my heart is overflowing with praise and praise. God doesn't need my praise, but praise is reminding my heart what God has done and his faithfulness to his promises. So literally, and I think just because the father is constantly lavishing us with his gifts, and yet we're so blind to it, I think when he finds a soul that's 
that's starting to wake up. Um, it's like, well, I, if, if you express some gratitude, I want to give you more gifts. And <laughs> mm-hmm. it flips, it flips the whole paradigm. I don't know if it you does. Yeah. St. Ignatius of Loyola says that all sin begins with ingratitude. Really? Mm. Yes. And that's why uh-huh. in the nightly examine, he always has people begin with gratitude. And then when their heart is kind of warmed with this sense of gratitude, they can go on to discern areas where they need to improve or uh, what God's will might be in a specific situation. But it always begins with gratitude. Yeah. And then St. John of the Cross, when he talks about healing, he talks about how important it is to heal the memory, but he's mm-hmm. not necessarily talking about, okay, I'm going to go into this particular memory and see how God was present, although that's very important. But for him, the greatest healing that people need is really that they have a spiritual amnesia because mm-hmm. every time when we look back at our past, we remember the negative things more than the positive things. And St. John is saying that where people need to be healed, it's recognizing how many positive things God has done for them. And ultimately that everything that's happened to them, whether they recognize it or not, is a gift of God and a channel of his grace to them. Yeah. Yeah. And as you say in the woman's school, our past becomes a compass to our contribution, mm-hmm. which means that the healing is really because, oh, happy fall, therefore now I can give that pain that I suffered for the sake of other people, which is so beautiful. If we have the eyes to not just, you know, I think true healing comes from the fact that it, that our wounds, our sins, our pain actually can become a gift and that's yes. for our life. And also from a very, scientific perspective 50 percent of our memory is actually inaccurate and mm-hmm. the studies are show and so people are re reliving memories of the past wounds uh, that could be false but here's the tricky part is that from a scientific level by thought alone you actually activate cortisol hormones that changes your biochemistry because i could ruminate thoughts of how this person betrayed me and i actually feel as though i am exactly reliving those hormones as though i was just betrayed yesterday if it happened three mm-hmm. years ago and so just even giving women that language and that understanding helps them the ammunition to say oh i'm not going to rethink that because now i'm releasing cortisol hormones that's stressing me out now i can't even pray and dream with and for god my dreams are hijacked because i'm just ruminating thoughts that Mm -hmm. now i can't sleep and i'm you know so anxious and so it becomes a spiral and i think part of it is because like you said or saint ignatius maybe said or saint that was Aquinas, all these incredible Mm -hmm. saints, is that it's integrated. You know, like when we have Mm -hmm. that warfare, it's not, you know, just this thought and and it's not connected to our body and it's not connected. And it's so integrated. But I think that's where I find the lack of formation is, Jesse. And I don't know what it is for you, is we think, okay, that's my emotion. That's not connected to my thoughts. We know now, new in the last 25 years, that it's actually a thought that causes our emotion. Mm-hmm. and that actually affects our body and so I find that if it would be amazing to have formation that's so integrated in our Catholic church so that spiritual warfare becomes almost such an integrated understanding 
that the battle is real, but that I am both body and spirit. You know, like when mm-hmm. I was just listening to Screw Tape Letters and I just put it back up and um, Father Michael she was talking about this. It's like, he was, you know, he's like, no, that's too much work. Just distract them with things to do. And then really, you don't even need to worry about anything else because they're neither doing what they ought or what they love. Which is, I think, from St. Ignatius Boy as well, he was talking about they're neither doing what they're ought and what they love. You just distract them. And I find that because mind management is the battle, I think today the poverty is in the mind. When, you know, um, depression, anxiety, eating disorder, every 60 seconds a woman dies of it, and stress is kind of the crisis of so many women today, I find that more than ever, managing our mind actually opens us to intimacy with our Lord and lack thereof, mm-hmm. it's like a rat race right. until to a point where we kind of wake up one day and we're like, I have been giving my life to God, but I don't even know who God is. Do you know how many mm-hmm. women have said that to me thousands of times? So you know, I started so excited about my faith and I was kind of like, motherhood is just a hot mess. And I used to, I don't even know who I am. And these holy souls that deeply desired our Lord but we're, was not given the formation simply because our world needed a different kind of formation is now suffering thinking that this, you know, intimacy with our Lord is sort of like a marriage is 50 years without intimacy. It's kind of like, yeah, well, yeah, I'm faithful, but it's not like a vibrant, like, ah, oh, did you see that sunset that God gave today? Or, you know, that, that gratitude that Angela says that everything is just for and with God, because we're just trying to like um, respond mm-hmm. to our day. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead, Jesse. I think that some of the problem is a misunderstanding of suffering and um, whether or not God wants you to carry a cross, a misunderstanding of redemptive suffering. Because so often people come to me and they'll say, is my depression just my cross? Is it God's for me to carry? Or is my addiction my cross? Uh, whatever the unhappiness might be. And if it is true suffering, then it's redemptive. It means that God wants you to carry this cross and it's becoming a glorified wound where you are receiving from the Father through it and other people are receiving God's graces through it. But that's not every cross. There are some wounds that Jesus wants to heal, and that's how he's glorified. I remember um, I had endometriosis since I was 12 years old, and every month I would be vomiting and in terrible pain. And when I was 27, I asked the Lord, is this a cross you want me to carry? And I felt his answer was no. And so I prayed for healing, and eventually someone prayed with me, and I was healed but you want a tree by its roots. If somebody is suffering from depression and they think, oh, well, this is just the cross that God wants me to carry, then eventually they're going to start seeing God as someone who he's not. Mm-hmm. This taskmaster who just wants them to suffer. And sometimes there is redemptive suffering. Like sometimes it's God's will for someone to have cancer. It's will for them to suffer terribly, but it's his will to bring about a unity with Jesus through that event. But I think especially for women, a lot of women in the church automatically assume this is my cross and they don't ask God what he wants. And then they get into almost telling him what will make them holier. I'm gonna carry this cross because it'll make me holier. 
and then they're no longer receiving. They're um, being self-reliant and carrying the cross by themselves. And that, that's again why everything that we are uh, striving for, I guess you could say, within the context of the women's school is to enable interior freedom for intimacy. Because rules without a relationship lead to rebellion and bitterness. And I think what we're seeing across a lot of beautiful, beautiful, faithful women, our dear sisters, is this resentment and bitterness mm -hmm. and distance. And, and uh, if I could use the passage from Ezekiel 36, you know, stony hearts, because there's this distance or a uh, false image of God, um, which again can kill hope especially if I think God wants me to carry this in January just says so often so well that passion, we just, we just ex literally were in the octave of Easter. We just experienced our Lord's passion so intimately. It's so fresh in our minds and our hearts, but passion is suffering for what one loves. Mm -hmm. There's a difference. Yeah. Christ and died for the cross. Yes. It was his love for us that held, held him to the cross. It was not the nails. And so maybe yes, just exactly. You could speak for a moment to his words on the cross, one of his you know, seven, seven last words of, I thirst. Maybe you could speak to that yes. for a moment. Yeah, well, I thirst, that's such a, a powerful word from, from the Lord. And of course, he's not talking about physical thirst. He's talking about thirst for souls. Uh, he greatly desires souls. Mother Teresa wrote a letter to her sisters about Jesus's thirst on the cross. And in this letter, she tells them, I'm afraid that some of you have not experienced God's love for you intimately. Hmm. How can we as missionaries of charity go one day without experiencing God's desire for us? And she says, it's impossible. And so she wrote them this letter to talk about God's thirst, not only for the souls of the poor, but also for the individual sisters. And she was afraid that even though these are religious sisters, that they're not really experiencing God's love for them, his delight in them personally. Yeah, which is probably what the world is, you know, um, what I find with women today, it's almost as though we don't see that our Lord could ever delight in us because we see ourselves, our self-image is that we're just this wretched sinner and we are so undeserving of our Lord's love, which is, we are undeserving of our Lord's love. But if we see it as a love of a father who is mm -hmm. merciful and kind, who, okay, my son doesn't deserve my love because, you know, for whatever reason he messed up, but I love him. I mean, you know, it's like nothing could ever make me not love my child. And so I think, you know, to sort of bring this all together, would you agree, Jesse, that if we gave young women or men, you know, young women, under an integrated formation of understanding their self-image, the formation of understanding desires that lead us to our contribution in God's dream in our heart, and desire to manage our mind and understanding how it's connected to our emotion and our body, would you say then that we actually open the door to deeper intimacy with our Lord, that instead of just trying to survive and fend and, you know, our, our spiritual life, we're actually thriving and now co-creating with God. When I say co-creating is that we're saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to be? And now we're pondering his dream 
you know when you said spiritual mm-hmm. warfare is actually not just about kind of waiting things off but it's actually getting into god's mind but isn't that then getting into god's desires yes yes absolutely the more that we can help people become the image of god then the more god is glorified through them um it was saint ignatius of antioch i think who said the glory of god is man fully alive is there saint Ernest? Ernest, there we go Man is fully alive when he's in the image of the creator. And who is our creator? Our creator is someone who is a God of desires. Jesus said, I ardently desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. And so if we can help people not to be afraid of their desires, but to passionately pursue them, then they're becoming more in the image of God who is passionately pursuing his desire, which is us. And he's also passionately creative. <laughs> yes. So powerful. I mean, he's, you know, again, when we take the time to start pondering, we get out of, we get out of the being locked up in our mind and begin to look at the world around us and contemplate the people around us. I mean, you know, St. Francis uh, would almost bow down, certainly before a newborn baby who was baptized. But, would, you know, if we could actually see the glory of the people before us, we'd be tempted to bow down and worship. I yes, think that was yes, St. Francis. Exactly. And, um, and so, Jesse, I think that's so powerful that, again, what separates us from the animals is our free will and our ability to co-create with God. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, again, it's so powerful that we're having this conversation now during the octave of Easter uh, as we're celebrating eight days of the Lord's resurrection. But just before that, we literally got to hear Jesus's deepest desire not only on the cross, but also in the Garden of Gethsemane in John 17, where his deepest, that's his final prayer with the Father and his desire to be one with us. And I think that again brings it home that as we are more conformed to the image and likeness of God, we literally share, and as as Catholics, you know, we receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ, we literally share his heart. His heart is literally beating within our hearts, which means his blood is running through our veins, which his blood is is then animating our minds and forming our thoughts. Our thoughts become his thoughts. We become one. So we're literally dreaming. It's not, we're, there's no separation. It's not I that live, you know, and that's St. Paul. Right. Right. And I think there's also false information with that, Ange. You know, it's like this fear that I find we almost can't accept the fact that, that, we get so one with Christ, it's Christ that lives within us. It's almost as though mm-hmm. it's an assumption of pride. Although that's like our most innate call is that union. I mean, that's the Trinitarian union. It's like, no, and it's, you know, I don't go to prayer. I, I am living the prayer, that intimacy with our Lord. And, and it's just Scott Hahn, you know, says, and I'm sure he's quoting some beautiful church father that God wants to deify and deify us. We literally yes. are all to become, come one with the heart of the Trinity. That's, mm-hmm. that's baffling um, that he would love us so much. So Jesse, we're just so grateful for unpacking these beautiful truths with us today, unpacking the truth of, of God's desire for us and, and in response, our desires uh, that he plants within us. Any final thoughts or any final thing you would like to leave us with today? I guess my final thought would just be to all of your listeners I'd encourage them to think of the spiritual life as a journey of desire. Spiritual life is about desire. It's not about virtue, vices, rewards, and punishments, all the 
things. All the things exist for desire. Sorry about that little day. I don't know where it's coming from. <laughs> it was celebrated. And who's read that? Bells. bells of just, I mean, that is, yes! that is getting to know the spiritual it, life, the journey of desires. Who said that? Because I feel like I need to plaster that into my own head, but even just almost just a great reminder when we're talking to Catholics who fear their own desires because of yeah. lack of formation and like me assumes that desires are bad and yeah who who spoke about that which saint well uh definitely saint ignatius um but also you read the writings of any of the saints and you see how more and more they're being transformed to be pure desire the um hagiography of saint francis the title of it is the remembrance of the desire of a soul. Francis is remembered for his great desire for God. Hmm. So saints are really stories of desire. First, God's desire for the saint and the saint's re response of desire for God. And as you grow in the spiritual life, it becomes more and more simple. I yes. desire God and everything that can bring me to God. And sometimes that's a very surprising thing. Yeah. And also just know that we can, we can have, you know, desires that are, um, you know, not the, the higher desire, but that God could want us to have a pair of shoes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> He's a loving father, you know? Exactly. And I think for our, for our, our female listeners out there, I think that's important. I mean, this, I, one of my favorite books is The Return of the Prodigal Son by Henry Nouwen. And he just unpacks there that, you know, shoes are a symbol of our freedom. The father in restoring mm -hmm. the prodigal son to his dignity puts shoes upon his feet. So for me personally, when I have a, a fabulous pair of shoes that I love, they to me are the father putting shoes on my feet that are a sign of who I am as his beloved. They are the shoes of the restoration of my dignity. So I wear my favorite shoes with pride and joy and delight because the father delights in me. And it's a, it's a symbol of my freedom. Yeah. And I think that's where intimacy comes in. It's his beautiful journey because then if that intimate intimacy with our Lord, then nothing is apart from our Lord, not even our shoes, not even the ice cream, you know, right. Not even, you know, a, a desire for whatever it is, even some material. It is no longer just the material, but it's a, a gift from a God or a gift to be able to give back to the world. So it's that freedom, you know, that, yeah. that allows, it's that intimacy that allows us to even deepen our desires, but it's our desire that allows to deepen an intimacy. It's this, but I think that's where, you know, in the woman's school, our first module is actually studying the desires of our heart. Mm -hmm. But then discovering the connection between the desires and dreams, that our dreams actually lead to our contribution. But then given the practical steps to actually figure out, okay, how do we discover that? And, you know, how do you bring that about as a goal? And how do you, you know, fail forward? How do you build a routine to study your desires? And mm -hmm. those practical things are missing. Yeah, you're right. And um, there is such an intimacy with God if we're able to share our desires with him. Um, Archbishop Aquila here in Denver once said in a homily, God will share the secrets of his heart with you, provided that you first share the secrets of your heart with God. Yeah. So my prayer for your listeners is that they wouldn't shut off 
that intimacy with God, that they would not block him from sharing the secrets of heart with them because they don't want to be honest about the desires of their own hearts, but that they might have the courage to desire what they desire and give those desires to God, expecting that he will fulfill them above and beyond what they could have imagined. Oh my goodness. Jesse, thank Sorry, you. Angela and I. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I feel like it's our story, you know, uh, uh, God overly giving abundantly from the wretchedness that we went through and just to see that our Lord is not just merciful, but he's abundant, you know, in his love. Yes. And, that he wants to yeah. give and his life is about giving, you know? And so we, um, so yeah, anyway. And just, you know, I, I just have to thank you as we, as we close off here that, you know, one of the greatest gifts that God has given me in and through your friendship is at some of my most stuck moments or darkest moments when I was tempted to give up on those deepest desires of my heart, you, you prayed that in, into those desires within for me. And you also gave me a book of fairy tales because fairy tales at their core engender hope. Mm -hmm. And that is the virtue that combats despair, hope, the virtue yes. of hope. So Jesse, you know, I feel like literally I am living a fairy tale right now. That is my life and that is who the father is. So we are so grateful for you, Jesse. Thank you for just the, the beautiful words of truth, goodness and beauty that you've shared with us today. Um, we love you, we're praying for you and the Focus family and just thank you. And the light that you bring to every soul that you encounter. So thank you thank so you. much. It's for been a pleasure. Thank, thank you, Jesse. And hopefully we can continue it because I think we're just scratching the surface here um, of you know understanding these layers that I think most of us have not been taught, but it needs to be taught. So I'm really grateful that you're. I feel like I've been enlightened today. <laughs> I'm just taking my theology notes. <laughs> thank you so much. I um, look forward to our next. Uh, conversation uh till the next week god Great, bless you thank all. you you god too bless. all right Bye. Thank you for joining us today. We would love to hear from you. Please write us at info at com. We would love to hear your comments and questions. And to learn more about our work at The Woman's School, please visit our website, thewomanschool.org. Finally, we encourage you to take the wholeness quiz, which you will find on our website, thewomanschool.org. Because as St. Edith Shine taught us, as a woman becomes whole, she becomes a pillar on which others can lean to be made whole. Thank you, ladies. Until next time, let us rise and together rebuild our church.